1: Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on, and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop midwayusa.com.
2: Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they
1: explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food.
2: We sure hope you wait before the show, is you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game podcast.
3: Hey everyone, the fall season is quickly approaching and it's time to start taking a look at your gear. So make sure you're not overlooking the gear. Sometimes matters the most and that's what you're going to be using to process your wild fisher game after you bring it home. What we're doing in order to help prepare you for that is we're going to be giving away a meat grinder and how you enter that contest is you scroll down on the show notes, click the link that says meat grinder giveaway and then follow the directions uh, and uh, Around about the middle of June, we'll announce the winner, and we will give away one of these awesome meat grinders. So, good luck, and hope to see you entering and sharing with your friends and family. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and today I actually have a two guests with me well one's a special guest and the other one is uh one of our field staff writers uh who's going to introduce himself momentarily and then we're going to get on and introduce our guest uh in first off i want to go over a quick uh, couple admin things uh so make sure you're checking out our adventures for food podcast so uh for those that haven't heard or seen them yet a quick like five minute five to ten minute uh story so it's like adventures in the field of uh, going out, fishing, hunting, or whatever for food. So this past week, we featured our first uh, podcast listener episode where somebody actually hopped on with Corey and they recorded their own uh, their own adventures for food. So that was pretty cool. It was a great story. The guy uh, went out deer hunting and ended up having to battle a bear in order to get his deer back to his truck. So go check that out and make sure that you're uh, tuned into those. Those are released every other Sunday just on this same podcast channel. And then uh, Facebook community group, be sure to check that out. Actually, uh, Shrek here was the one that queued that up, so we've, we've done uh, really well with it, and uh, we'd love interacting with everybody kind of on a more daily basis, a little more informal than our Facebook page, so uh, if you have any questions or things like that, it also gives us the opportunity to share what guests we're having on the podcast, and then you can pose any questions and things like that, and we'll make sure we get some listener stuff in there. And then as always, if you're digging what we're putting out, you can buy us a cup of coffee. Uh, so it's a quick little thing, little $3 donation to the Harvesting Nature crew. Uh, you can buy one, two, three, seven cups of coffee. Uh, it's about my daily intake, so <laughs> uh, that works. <laughs> um, and as always, our, our buddies over at Allen Company, if you go over to buyallen.com, that's B-Y-A-L-L-E-N.com, and uh, check out their cool merch and uh, use the code HARVEST10, you get 10% off on uh, your order. So with that, I'm actually going to open it up. Chase is here with us. Chase Waller, the infamous uh, field staff writer for Harvest in Nature. And uh, he wanted to hop on tonight because he's a big fan of uh, spearfishing. And our buddy Shrek is on with us too from uh, from Australia,
4: right?
2: Yep, yep, yep. But it's awesome to make Chase as a kind. So I'm quite familiar with Tampa, but um, I really want to get over there.
4: Yeah, man. It's uh, You got to come over a great time out here on out the Gulf. What are
2: you What are you sparing over there most of the time? You,
4: sheep's head. Yeah, you get sheep's head closer inshore. You go offshore, you get a lot of uh, gags and uh, gag groupers and mangrove snappers are our two biggest, I would say, numbers wise. But you run into copia, you run into amberjacks, you run into uh, every once in a while somebody brings up a grouper. Uh, a couple of years ago, I shot a black tan tuna. Yeah, right. Eh? Oh, wow that's cool
2: man it seems like you guys have got like such a wicked coastline in terms of the availability of the spearfishing resource like obviously some of the management strategies are working but like there's a really vibrant community there some really um uh, different sort of cultural factors in the florida spearfishing community than the rest of the world and sometimes there's a little bit of conflict have you experienced any of that
4: yeah it's a little bit you see it uh you see it gulf coast versus atlantic coast central florida versus, versus south florida i don't know what the north florida guys are doing up there but that's that's what i see
3: oh it's yeah like a, the guys bit, uh, the guys up in the panhandle and stuff they kind of have their own unique thing and then us us boys down here in the florida keys uh unique too I mean, it's interesting the cultures yeah
4: oh. For such a for such a small state like everything is, has its own like little micro culture
2: mm-hmm. well i'm in brisbane which is like the east coast of australia and we've got our own sort of distinctive culture as well and it's different from some of the other states in australia but i originally came from new zealand as well and i think like that's partly why i sort of sometimes see the distinctions and the and the differences and it's interesting sort of um i don't know you, social media's brought us all together and sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. but yeah it's it's interesting to watch to be part of.
3: So I I gotta do your quick introduction too. We have <laughs> these these uh, fanciful introductions. So uh, well, we've already covered the fact that you're from that you're living in uh, Brisbane in Australia. So uh, so everybody knows uh, Shrek here, Spiro, podcast host and writer. So he hosts the Noob Spiro podcast and co-authored 99 tips to get better at spearfishing awesome blog he has too and a website lots of cool things going over there at the com. yeah
2: thanks justin um yeah it was cool to the show yeah it's cool (laughs) to like be like it was nice of you to invite me on your show like um i had a really good chat with you and and i know my listeners loved it like i i think i left the episode with you like super hungry because you unleashed like three (laughs) like wicked recipes off your blog so um it's cool to yeah come in and chat with you and join and join your guys but um yeah i hope i can offer some value
3: yeah i think so so um definitely want to talk about some food stuff i've I've got that kind of in a lineup and then uh i want to hit on on the the Noob spiro podcast and and talk about some spearfishing stuff too uh we do i i always find it pers uh kind of like a personal mission, you know, as, as a lot of people know, I'm down in the Florida keys and spear fishing kind of has popped in and out of my life as, a, as I've lived down here. And I think it's a, a should be fully recognized like part of both the angling community and the hunting community because it involves both. Mm. And uh, so I, I, always think it's very, very important that we're recognizing that it, it in nature sort of as a whole, because I mean, if you're spearing, you're generally out for food like it's not like you're uh, you're catching release so yeah <laughs> it's it's
2: very similar to hunting i reckon like there's that thrill of the chase and there's the excitement there's planning a stalk um you know obviously finding the right conditions and locations in terms of like where the animals are going to be and then and then uh, you know uh, choosing the right technique in order to take down some prey but a lot of the time, I think fish are much dumber than animals on land. But, um, yeah, there's nevertheless, there's a lot of parallels, in, and I don't see it as dissimilar to, to hunting at all.
3: Yeah. I uh, and it, You know, it's funny because a lot of the, the spears I've talked to are like, some of them call it hunting. They're like, yeah, you know, we're going out, we're going to go hit the water and go do some hunting. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. Like, I, I recognize that. So then also, as I mentioned, so we've got Chase here, uh, and I'm, I'm going to let him go ahead and introduce himself.
4: Hey, like you said, uh, Chase. I'm a field staff writer for Harvest Nature, uh, based out of Tampa, Florida. Been hunting and fishing my entire life, and I uh, got into spear fishing. Uh, I was stationed in Hawaii for a few years, and then I kind of got away from it when I got back to Florida. Um, I started back into more serious diving. I don't dive as much as I did in Hawaii, but I would say my my spear fishing is much more productive in terms of uh, just number of species and size of fish, but you know I love spearfishing because it is that hunting aspect uh, that I love. And fishing and I have kind of a toxic relationship with <laughs> fish. But I, I love catching fish and don't enjoy getting my hooks untangled from stuff and losing Mm-mm. stuff and getting sunburned while I'm not catching fish.
2: Yeah, just getting <laughs> so fat. That's the
1: reason
4: I enjoy spearfishing because it at least I'm also free diving. Yeah. You know, it's, if I don't get anything. I would have had a good free diving trip.
3: Yeah. I right. Yeah. I'm i uh, I'm with you on that. And plus it's like, I always find it at the surface. You're always kind of in wondering what's down there. Like what's below. Like I just picture a lot of times my hook just down there and there'd be like nothing around or there's a giant school of fish around except for the little like, little circle around where my fish hook is and they're just like all swimming around it like nope 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 but when i'm down in the water with spear gun in hand at least i, I get to see what's going on in that world and and you know, like shrek said it becomes like a little more like hunting because you're 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 seeing the playing field out there
2: i think i think yeah, so exactly. many so many sparrows and uh are are, are um terrible line or pole fishermen and that's how we That's how we get into it. (laughs) Yeah.
3: So uh, for everyone, this is, as you know, Chase's first podcast on with us. So super stoked to have him on. Uh, We're actually going to have him on again. Or, or, well, actually, by the time you listen to this, he will already have been on covering a little piece uh, that he did on some some cool issues going down here in Florida. So scroll back and check that out. But uh, for those who didn't know, Chase and I just went turkey hunting. Uh what, two weekends ago, Chase?
4: Yeah, two weekends ago.
3: Yeah. Two weekends ago. Uh didn't see at any the, turkeys. At the time, this is recorded. <laughs> yeah. Uh didn't see any turkeys, so <laughs> <laughs> unsuccessful. But nonetheless, uh, I'm headed back up for round two uh tomorrow morning actually. Uh bright and early.
2: Do you guys find like, like hunting and spearfishing is kind of similar, I reckon, and the fact that sometimes you go and you don't catch anything. But if you're with cool mm-hmm. people, you have a good time anyway. Um Oh yeah. Yeah, and there's always like the campfires and, you know, the the stories that seem to just grow over time.
3: Do you, uh, Shrek, do you hunt as well or have you hunted in the past?
2: A little bit, like as you get older you just seem to have less time and less opportunity even though you might have mm-hmm. a little bit more money. Um, yeah, in Queensland here we get uh, red deer and, uh, okay. well, like near where I am in the Brisbane Valley, um, but yeah, I've, I've hunted pigs a lot uh, with, with dogs and knives and... Uh, and I really enjoyed that. I, I like hunting deer with a rifle. I've only ever shot one deer with a rifle, so I definitely wouldn't call myself a hunter, but, but I do enjoy it. I know how to butcher an animal because uh, one of my first jobs was working in a, in a beef sort of processing plant. So I got to see the industrial farming process from the animal in the yards alive and well to coming out the other end in a box. And everything in between, so um, it was a, it was a formative <laughs> experience. And uh, but like it gave me some skills in terms of how to break an animal down, and and uh, and I and I really like that part of it. I love it, whether it's fishing or hunting, just taking an animal from something that's alive all the way right through to the other end. And um, you know, it, it gives you a, an appreciation for the animal, but um, obviously you're more aware of of what's you know what's gone on to it. And I think it it's it's a it's a really cool and I don't know, it's just something that most people don't understand
3: yeah it, it, it for me it's almost like a natural feeling to it to like a, it, there's a comfort in it because i know i'm kind of i'm involved in the process and then it, you know there's there can be uncomfortable things about it but for the most part like the process itself is like oh this seems like mm. this seems legit so
2: the first time few times you gut an animal though like <laughs> that, like I, I started yeah. in New Zealand. Like we we would have uh, invasive possums, and my parents were both um, ex army officers in the New Zealand Army, so we grew up in the bush and um, with national parks all around. But we were, we were allowed to shoot uh, these these possums, and I remember gutting and skinning. And, and a friend of mine taught me a little bit about tanning and stuff, and. So I'd st- I started started really young for me I think and um but I mean it was it's pretty gross the first time you go to gut an animal pull all the guts out and generally you do a clumsy job of it and pierce the gut sack in some way and it goes all mm-hmm. over you and you, you know how it goes
3: I mean even still as an adult I still do that yeah, sometimes me too. on accident <laughs> Yeah So um grew up in New Zealand and and uh introduced the outdoors there that's pretty cool um what's the normal childhood growing up in the outdoors like there
2: you got two main islands here you got the north island and the south island um and i grew up i was born on the top of the south island but i I grew up sort of more or less in the west coast sort of more or less to the bottom of the north island and it's cold and wet a lot of the time in winter it rains a lot it'll rain for a week and um, particularly in the mountains where i sort of grew up um, the the place i grew up is called puki iti uh, which is maori for like small small hill um, in Australia where I am here in Brisbane like it would be called a huge mountain for some reason because we just don't have a lot of them but um, my dad was a gardener there and so we were surrounded in bush we had um, the Taranaki um, National Park where the, there was a, there's a big mountain sort of in the background and a line um, of um, uh, well we had two lines of mountains around it one's the Kai and uh so yeah always tramping hunting like possums and just small game like not really eating uh hunting to eat a lot of the time more just wiping out invasives and sometimes using the the hides but um yeah but yeah that was sort of how I grew up I really enjoyed that and then um we moved to the city of 12,000 people when I was about 12 years old and things changed a little bit but still close to that sort of rural farming lifestyle Mm -hmm. and and then like I said yeah I went to meatworks as well and um moved to Australia in my early 20s and um and took up spearfishing probably five or six years later. It took me a while to get organised and save up for all the gear and stuff, but started scuba diving in New Zealand and then when I moved here to Australia, was more interested in the freediving component. Like I started freediving in New Zealand and just getting rid of all the scuba gear was just, you know, it was awesome, So, um, but but I sort of had an ability for it. I grew up in swimming pools and near the water, so freediving for me, although, you know, it's taxing and a struggle to learn how to relax and hold your breath, I really enjoyed it, and that sort of the self-mastery involved. I, I think even scuba diving with spearfishing, maybe there's some of that as well, but I've never really spearfished on scuba, so I I, I don't have a huge appreciation for it, but,
3: yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think there's some some folks that do the, uh, I've seen them do scuba. Like, down here, it's big for, uh, for like, lionfish, you know, one of our big invasives. Mm. Um, people will go scuba out there because you can just, you can harvest them much easier and, like, you don't have to worry as far as going down on breath. And then after you shoot the fish, you know, you got to trim the, you either got to put it in a, what's called like a lionfish hotel, which is a little PVC tube or clip the spines off and all that jazz. So people mm. tend to, you can take your time when you're on a tank uh, versus coming back up for air. So, mm. um, what's I going to say? So, um, I guess starting to, to spearfish. what, what was the sort of the motivator behind it?
2: Oh, I never stopped wanting to spearfish, it was more just opportunity, time and money I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of struggled a lot through sort of blue collar jobs and just not being very organised or having much of a plan or vision for my life and struggled to sort of get organised in my 20s. Probably near the back end um, I started, I don't know, some things happened in my life and changed and I just started getting a lot more determined and I saved up and bought the equipment um, and then all the struggles started with like, <clears throat> you know, particularly in Southeast Queensland here, it's really difficult to find places to shore dive. You really need a boat, and so yeah, I struggled to find dive buddies in a community. Social media was really just starting to take off, and um, but it wasn't very organised in terms of finding, um, you know, groups and communities to join. And and um, even when you do find them nowadays, like you've, st- it's still a big ask getting someone to. Um, to take you out, that that you know, because taking a noob out is a real is a real sacrifice, and yeah. um, you know, like it's a full day off, you know, like it's time and opportunity, and mm-hmm. if you're taking a noob out with you, ah, oh, jeepers, it's a hassle. They scare all the fish, and you know, you, you you just spend all day teaching, and it's really not the sort of spearfishing that you enjoy when you start to get better at it. But um, so yeah, all those struggles came up, and I I couldn't um. I couldn't find a lot of dive buddies it it took me a while to get on a boat and just develop the skill set like i said the the barrier to entry in terms of the equipment was tough as well then learning how to use it and um yeah so so that's kind of also how i started the new spirit podcast because um, yeah at the time like i was listening to entrepreneur on fire which is uh, a guy he's an ex-military guy lives up well he lived up in maine when he started it and he wanted to do a business podcast seven days a week i was working a blue collar job i started listening to this entrepreneur on fire podcast and um this guy just fired me up and he's just like you know like um you know just solve problems that that you yourself experience and i thought well i'm going to start a spearfishing podcast and just interview spearfishing legends from all over the place and learn how to get past some of these obstacles like finding a buddy and learning all the equipment and the freediving side of things the hunting it's just, like, the deeper you, down the rabbit hole you go, the, m- the more problems you realise there are and the more obstacles <laughs> and, you know, and, and people are very much subject matter experts, you know. Like, you talk to a, a person that's a dedicated spearfishing YouTuber, they've, they've poured thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours into learning their craft, you know. Like, it's silly just to learn all those same things yourself. Like, sometimes you have to learn stuff yourself, but why not just talk to people that have already done it, so, Yeah.
3: I think facilitating those conversations are good it makes uh it shows you know i, I think we do that a lot so uh i, I don't know if you have uh, an equitable term uh in australia but it's like we have the like late onset hunter or late onset angler like somebody who gets into hunting or fishing you know uh not, not like kind of chase and i who who grew up doing it but somebody who's like oh i'm in college i'm 20 25 you know 30 40 yeah. 50 whatever and they're like i want to start hunting now yeah and they're like you know growing up you're, you're kind of taught like here's the ways here's how you do it and you know i think a lot of old older hunting culture in the u.s like that was the way you started mm-hmm. and everybody who was involved in that kind of took it for granted. And then now there's a, a huge mass movement of, of adult onset hunters or, or later onset, I guess adult onset's the correct word. Um, and so they're in this place like, oh, wow, like I'm trying to solve all these same problems, which Mm. is exactly, you know, people get into spearfishing. They're looking to you to be like, oh, yeah, I ran into that problem. Oh, great, they're having a whole podcast episode where they're talking about that. (laughs) So it it creates a comfort level for people too. You know, we we do that here with food and and try to do it with our conversations and hunting and fishing and all that. So um, I always think it's neat when, when that falls into like, Somebody's like, "Hey, I see that there are problems in the world, and I'm going to share my the ideas that I found on my path." So
2: sometimes it's like you're you're right, like you're that adult learner. You know, like a couple of years ago, I started jujitsu with the work I was in, and like we're walking in, you're in your late thirties, learning something. It just it's very uncomfortable to not be in a mm-hmm. zone of competence. It's like there's an element of ego attached to it too. But I'm I just hearing and listening to people who have battled the same problems as you. I don't know; it just gives you a little bit of comfort. It makes you feel like a little bit less of a loser. And um, yeah, and then and that's a good place to come from, you know, because um, I'm still very much a white belt in jiu-jitsu, by the way. <laughs> but uh, I think having those areas where you're still learning something keeps you honest too, and um, you just you know you you just pull all the bullshit out of it like. Very much like one of the reasons why I really loved having you on the podcast is I still consider myself a real noob with food. And I'm pretty lazy. Like after a full day spearfishing, my recipes, they better be under like 20 minutes, 30 minutes prep full time Mm -hmm. because otherwise I'm probably not going to do it. Like if it's super elaborate, I just don't have the time and the energy to do it. So, um, but yeah,
3: yeah. I, I run into that where sometimes like I'm coming back and it's like, I got to clean fish. I got to do this and then by the end of it it's just like I'm not even hungry anymore. Like I'm so <laughs> tired. I'm so mentally exhausted like I'll eat tomorrow and I'll put the the you know the fish in the freezer and uh, it for another day, which leads me to a great segue. What uh what what kind of fish you got hiding out in the freezer there?
2: Um I've got I've got a Moses perch actually in the freezer, which is I think it's quite similar to the red snapper that you guys get in Florida, okay. and um, yeah, well, sometimes people call them a finger mark, but the flesh is really good, and um, and I've got a coral trout, which is uh, generally it's uncommon to get them off Brisbane. It's generally further north, like proper sort of trop- tropical water. Um, mm-hmm. If you're curious as to that species, Daniel Mann's actually got a. A YouTube video where he identifies all the coral trout species but um, yeah there's one in there and there's a black spot tuskfish which is um, it's a unique fish as far as I'm aware really to Australia and it's um, it's kind of got that same um, appeal I think as the hogfish has in Florida but it's it's very much our own thing down here and um, a big uh, black spot tuskfish is uh, they look rad rad you know like if you're laying on the bottom and one comes out of you you know from from nowhere they're just really distinctive and just really cool fish to hunt though I don't think they're particularly clever though so although you same, get, same with hogfish yeah 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 <laughs> which is why I sort of that par- I paralleled it because you, it's like if you see a picture of one they're just a wicked looking fish and I think hogfish are kind of the same and mm-hmm. um though I don't know it's it's uh, they they have this real character that's you you know like you appreciate over time and exposure and uh i i really love them so i got one of those in the freezer and um they they eat really well as well
4: i'm looking at a picture of one it looks like a parrotfish got a real bad dental job
2: <laughs> yeah yeah so they're, they're they're a little bit like a parrotfish, but i think instead of like eating um fungi and stuff off of the coral reef they more like smash things up on the bottom probably a little bit more like maybe a sheep's head like in terms of their mm-hmm. they get a lot yeah, of structure that,
4: like rassy rassy looking teeth up front. yeah
2: yeah and they taste kind of like a, what
4: like a hogfish's teeth.
2: yeah well they taste way better than a parrot like the flesh is a lot more firm and um yeah and it's uh, it's actually a lot more transparent than a parrot as well um but yeah it's, they're really good eating um whereas parrots sometimes I think quality I'm not really a big parrot fan I think um if you're really good with the ceviche, I think parrot maybe is the way to go. But I'm not. Um, I, I'm again, it's just not a food I've really explored in depth. But I probably will start to do because I think I've had a sort of a shift in mindset. Like, there's a, a Sydney um, seafood chef called Josh Nyland, and he wrote a book called The Whole Fish Cookbook. Ooh, yeah, and I um, that. Yeah, yeah. If you're a chef, dude, I think the book or, or lady, sorry, I think the book is like wicked because it's like super deep technical seafood stuff but one thing the book didn't do is is get me to start cooking these elaborate recipes but what it did do is it convinced me to change my mindset around the way I think about fish like I think we just we have these two recipes we use as sparrows and that's all we do and I think it's a little bit lazy because like he says the analogy he uses in the book is you wouldn't go into a butcher shop and treat pork, um, beef steaks, beef mince, And, you know, all these different cuts, the same. And yet with spearfishing, it's like, ah, it's a fish. We treat them all the same. It's a fish. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a bit silly. Like all fish, the flit has different fish consistency based on their diet, temperature zone, all that sort of stuff. And so we should treat them differently. And um, so I'm starting to change a little bit. That's why I mean with the parrot, with the ceviche thing. It's like I just haven't been cooking it right previously, so that's why I don't have an appreciation for it.
4: I think that has to do regionally as well because when I was in Hawaii, we would get parrots, and that was like the, the prize fish. fish, mm. for you know closer to your on your reefs, and then on the mainland, I don't know anybody who shoot parrots.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we can't we can't shoot them. Uh, we can't shoot them down here in the Keys. They're protected.
2: Yeah, there's a case that a a lot of marine scientists and I, I would argue like. Um, extreme sort of green um, lobbying groups do is they say parrots um, preserve the reef and they eat the parasites off the reef and stuff so when you shoot them it it creates an unhealthy balance in the ecosystem and to a degree I think they're right but I think parrots have that adaptive um, mechanism like if they get um, predated upon by sparrows their body language adapts. Like a school of parrots won't behave the same around a spiro. Like if you, sh- if I shoot a fish out of a school of parrot today, if I go back tomorrow, that that school will will respond with their body language by keeping a greater distance from me. I, I think they have their own protective mechanisms mm-hmm. built into them. So I don't think that protecting them by creating no take conditions is a is necessarily a great idea because I think the ecosystem's got that built into its own mechanism. Do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah. I think maybe they were, um, because that they, they're closer, closer to shore here. Like, I mean, I have them, there's, I can think of two, two or three small schools, like the docks just across the street from my house. Mm. Um, they, they have them, they, they'll cruise up and down there and you'll see them cause we'll hit it for spearfishing and you'll see them there. And I mean, that's opportunity of like, somebody can just jump in the water, literally walk in and boom, they're there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know, it goes back to maybe that culinary history as well, uh, you know, people not wanting to eat them. I don't know if it's a, a big thing as much here.
2: Uh, like I said, like historically, I haven't really enjoyed eating them, but I just think it's because of the way I prepared them. So I'll I'll, I'll try something different next time I shoot a good one, but they're not generally like a fish I'll deliberately target. That's um, more opportunistic sort of mm-hmm. thing, like, oh, well, that one looks good. Bang. <laughs>
3: Yeah, so that's I, so what I was going to ask you. When, when you go out, do you target specific species or do you generally, are you more of an, an opportunistic uh, shooter?
2: I try to target stuff, but it'll be based on what's happening on the day. So, um, you know, if I've got a big workup on the front edge of a reef because some current's washing over it and I've got bait and I've got three schools of trevally and, and um, you know, some other things working through it, quite often I'll be I'll be going for the real iconic, um, difficult to shoot species like, you know, I think in Hawaii they call them uku, but the the green jobfish, you know, like, they are a really tough species to to get onto. Like, you you have to be, you know, working hard, like spending bottom time, or you can sort of do the burly or the chum trick, but I prefer generally not to. And when you've got current, even getting chum or burly right and getting the jobfish up the water column can be quite difficult. So... Yeah, but other days, you know, like it might be quite quiet, but you will see the odd parrot around, and <clears throat> they are quite vulnerable to a top down shot because of the way they sort of, um, the way their eyes are positioned on their body. It's quite down, um, so they they can't look up very well. So shooting them from top down is is quite a it's a it's a narrow shot to make. You have to be quite accurate, but they. You seem to be able to get quite close to them from top down, whereas most, a lot of species, you need to be on a level with them to hunt them. So, yeah, I will shoot them, but it's not generally uh, something I'll target.
3: Nice. What's uh? So we, we talked a little bit about what's in the freezer. What, what do you got on the menu next? What are you cooking up next, you think?
2: A recent favorite of mine, do you guys get salt and vinegar chips or crisps there?
3: We, we do, yeah, we do. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: So I like to take the whole bag and just smash it up and into crumbs and then i just do flour egg and then the salt and vinegar crisp as a crumb and then um and then just shallow fry and make sure i don't overdo them and then i'll just use them in tacos or sandwiches or in a salad however you want like you can just serve it on the plate next to some other like you know dishes and stuff and um goes really well particularly if you if you if you know how to make a homemade tartare or you you buy a real nice t- uh, how what do you how do you say tartare sauce is it tartar Tar-
3: tartar
1: <laughs> yep <laughs> tartar, tartar sauce
2: <laughs> so we call it tartare but anyway same same um tomato tomato um yeah but yeah we'll we'll i'll do that with that that's probably like and it goes real well with a lot of reef species and um even frozen ones it seems to be Work, work a good trick like um uh, yeah my motivation for spearfishing goes down when my freezer's full so i like to have a high turnover of the fish in my freezer yeah yeah
3: what uh do you have a fish that doesn't even make it to the freezer that you're like i gotta eat this right away
2: yeah yellowtail we call it yellowtail or well, we it's quite often called a kingy down here but it can be confusing for you guys because a kingfish where you are is a spanish mackerel down here so mm-hmm. Anyway, sometimes we call it a yellowtail kingfish, but I believe it's actually a greater amberjack if you look up the genus and stuff. But anyway, the, the yellowtail um, sashimi, fantastic. Like, or Ooh. yeah, that's that's a go-to for sure. You just got to chill it back for at least a few hours and um, make sure you bled it and um, and brained it, or ik- ikijimi is, is kind of, I, I'm probably, I don't think I pronounced it right, but it's a Japanese word for braining a fish and then yeah um, i don't
3: even, i didn't even know there was a term of course there is but yeah <laughs> um, we borrowed it no, from I've, the
2: japanese which i think is pretty cool i think it's ikejime or something but i it's like i-k-i-j-i-m-e and i just say Jimmy, which is probably just butchering the hell out of it but what do you do <laughs>
3: <laughs> i it's such an interesting concept too because it's like uh I, I mean you think about it too like as, as hunters you're you're you want the animal to sort of one struggle less to have low adrenaline and three you know be able to be manageable and so like that optimal shots like in the spearfishing world like doing the uh, like a stone shot where you're just stoning it and it's immediately just dying and seeking that same thing in the in the hunting world is that but if you don't get that you always have a way to sort of manage it and uh, I forget there was some article. Somebody did a little uh, research piece on it, uh, looking at whether or not the fish actually tasted better, yeah. even freshwater fish that were line caught. Um, and and I I, I think so. Uh, it, it, I mean, it makes sense.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, yeah, definitely. Brain it as fast as you can and bleed it out. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the cleaner the kill, and the cleaner the faster the kill, and the, and bleed it is essential as well. Like yeah, get all that. That that stuff out of the muscles and, uh, I, but I also think you have got to chill a fish back. Like I don't think you just pull it up on the deck and start chopping it up straight away for sashimi. No. I think you've got to let that rigor mortis set in, and you've got to chill it back on some ice. And once yeah. it's got that chilled um, tension, it's like it allows some of the, the weird stuff and the muscles to drain out, and then yeah, it make, makes a lot better eating quality. So, but um, yellowtail, if you've chilled it back for a few hours fantastic same as the spanish mackerel i think they call it kingfish in your part of the world like i love that sashimi as well like it won't even make it home or, or a big slab if it won't
3: i haven't had the i mean we have the spanish we we have spanish mackerel here actually the last uh, uh recipe i did for uh spearing magazine was spanish mackerel okay um uh, man it was so good i love that
2: what did you do with it
3: So uh, I just did like a little pan sear. I left skin on. I got the skin kind of crispy, did a pan sear, and then uh, I did like kind of a Sicilian relish. So it was like tomatoes, capers, onions, uh, a couple other uh, like pickled, I I think I did black olives in there too. And then just put that right on top of it kind of cold and just ate it just like that. Oh my gosh. The vinegar and the pickle and all the stuff in there, uh, the juices just came out so great.
2: It's a fish that I reckon smokes well too. Um, mm-hmm. Just lather and like salt and then brown sugar and just just hot smoke it and then leave it in the smoker once the, once you've turned the heat off for another couple of hours and um, it just sinks in and it's some of the best smoked fish I've ever
1: eaten in my life. It's some of the best fish I've eaten full stop in my life.
3: uh and so as far as smoked fish hmm. do you eat it just uh smoke fish and then eat the filet or do you mix it in because down in the keys we do uh we do a smoked fish dip so they'll take the dip and then or they'll take this fish and then incorporate it into you know various types of dips and things like that
2: one thing i've become become more aware of i think you know, as a hunter, you grow, and as a, as a chef, and as an appreciator, a connoisseur of the things you shoot and hunt, like you you, you you get better at it. So, I'll be honest with smoked fish; it comes out of the hot smoker, and if I've got fresh white bread, which is just riddled with gluten,
3: <laughs> I just <laughs> All sm- the gluten smear butter on
2: it, and the smoked fish, if it's still hot, goes straight on there, and I just Ooh. yeah, and I can just punish um, large quantities of Spanish mackerel that way. But um, but I think like it's quite versatile as I'm sort of finding out. You can make a pate, you can make, mm-hmm. you, can, you can make all sorts of stuff with it. You can put it through a salad. You can uh, you can put it through pasta and like do a carbonara with it. There's all different uh, um, ways you can use it. I'll be honest, it goes. It, if I don't eat it immediately, it goes into a vacuum pack bag, and I might pull another portion out in a week, and I'll quite happily just open that packet and eat it exactly yeah. like that and um, but i'm a i'm a i'm a caveman at times
3: <laughs> that's all right i think i think we all are i'll, I'll tell everybody is, is elegant elegant as my cooking is sometimes like some sometimes i was like i'm, I'm hungry gotta eat now like yep. w- what's what's available
2: yeah but um smoked fish i think the one thing that holds me back with it is my like, like i live in a in an apartment at the moment and um, having a large smoker going on my balcony w- while it would be good for me uh, my neighbours I don't think would appreciate it as much so a lot of the smoke fish I do uh, at, or I used to do it at a, at a buddy Matt's place and um, we would do a, three or four racks and, and then have a vacuum pack session and just sort of portion it out and give it away and sometimes so that was a good afternoon with a couple of drinks mm-hmm. and, um, and just sit around talking while, while we waited for the fish to smoke.
3: I like that. We do, if we get big hauls, we do the same thing. And it's like that that whole community and social element to it that I I, I really enjoy. For sure. Um, sure. Pretty lucky. You know, I have a good group of guys here. There's like four, was it? There's about nine of us. I think all in all, we'll rotate out on different boats and stuff. Yeah. Uh, They kind of all spear together and fish. So,
2: do you guys do do like a communal, like fillet, fillet, and um, and vacuum pack session, like when you do a, a bigger trip?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, so we'll we'll divide everything up like evenly, like even if you don't uh even if you don't come back uh with a fish, like you're getting fish if you were on the boat, which is good because that encourages people to come back out and keep at it, you know. Mm. Everybody has bad days, everybody has really good days. Like there's some guys in the group that are really skilled uh and they, you know, they can get down at depth and there's some guys like me that are not greatly skilled yeah, and yeah. don't get down at depth and uh you know uh some days i shoot good fish some days i don't
2: i like that aspect of it too man because like i said like my motivation for spearfishing goes up and down based on how full my freezer is Mm -hmm. so if i don't give away a quantity of fish then i i don't need to go spearfishing because most of the time i shoot more than enough for my needs you know and i'll give i'll give some to my neighbor and um my, my close friends and family and um but yeah like sharing the fish out on the boat i think it makes sense like it's a team it's a it, it's more of a team sport these days i think like a lot oh of yeah it-
3: i mean you got somebody driving the boat you got somebody tending the anchor you got somebody playing safety on the boat and then you're partnering up in the water like it's it's very much uh i think in order to do it safely it's 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 definitely a team sport hmm. So what was it? I? I was sawing. I was I was scrolling the uh, the Noob Spiro Instagram page, and I saw you talking about uh, crayfish. Yep. Is it like lobster? Yeah, same, same, same.
2: Uh, okay, tomato, tomato. Uh, yeah. So
3: they do look like, are they come out red like that? Yeah. In the wild, so they look like giant crawfish here. Which like, okay. We've which got. I thought was interesting.
2: We've got like. I think at least five species around Australia and um, so the ones I think I had in the recent Instagram post were southern rock lobster so um, mm-hmm. sort of the southern end of Australia I was actually in South Australia and I was doing a, a, a freediving retreat which was in a, a lime limestone sinkhole um, and it's famous and I was doing some freediving certifications there but of course while I'm there I, I can't just straight free dive. So me and a buddy escaped and we went um, down to some local South Australia um, coastline and went chasing lobster, which I don't know why we call them crayfish. It's it's a weird thing, they're a lobster. Like every name, official name for them is a lobster. It's a it's a southern rock lobster is the, is the, is the proper name for them. But um, yeah, we, had, we spent two sessions going out for them. The first time we tried to go wide and deep and it was really surgy and we didn't find bugger all and, Um, we didn't actually get any um, but the diving was fantastic and we we saw sea lions and south australian diving was just amazing like cold water but just beautiful and then the second time we went out we tried a different strategy and i think like whether you're spearfishing or hunting like you learn from what doesn't work and you know Mm -hmm. it's that definition of of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different (laughs) results so the second time we went out we we realized like oh we went we tried to go wide and deep and 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 it was good ground, but it was just surgy and really difficult. Like probably 30, 30 feet diving, and in surge, like it was quite difficult. And there was just wasn't a lot around. So the next time we went out, we were in like six feet of water, maybe ten feet of water, and that's where all the lobster were. And um, again, we were dealing with surge and really heavy weed. Like you would have to like you'd have to sort of push kelp out of the way and and really ram yourself into it to find the cracks, and then. Like marking the holes was quite difficult, but once you were in there then it was just grabbing them and um, and away you went and we we got we got three on our second session we could have got more but we were, we only went out for an hour and we had more than enough to eat for the um, trip and we fed like I think eight people with these lobster but oh, wow. um yeah yeah and um, I tried so in New Zealand where I grew up a lot of the time when we would cook lobster we would just boil them and you boil them and then just open the meat and the legs and just eat the meat as is or you can put it through a salad or do whatever you want as usual i just went the simple route and just ate it directly <laughs> but um and then in queensland a lot of the time is they get their crayfish and the, oh their, their lobster and then they just cut them in half and put them straight on the barbecue and yep, in, in south Sa- okay cool well in south australia we tried something different we parboiled them which is like you know boiling them but not so that they're completely cooked through and then we split them and then we fried them and um It worked really really well and i think it's one of the worst things you can do with most seafood and i think lobster is true of it as well is if you overcook it it tastes like shit and um so so this time around parboiled cut it in half and then on the barbecue soaked and lathered in butter and garlic and it was just excellent it was just so good
3: sounds good chase chase do you get another lobster down here i don't know what the uh, if you get down to the keys to do it during the season
4: uh, no, I've never been in Florida, but a couple of years ago I went to the Bahamas, and we were able to uh, snag some lobsters over there, and we would just throw them straight on the grill.
3: Nice, yeah, yeah. That's what I—I uh, I don't know. I've done—I've done a number of things with them because we have we have rock lobster here too, but it's all warm water, um, and I actually so. The majority of like our lobsters are coming from the northeast of the U.S., like Boston, Massachusetts, New England area, and I prefer those lobsters. I think they have a, a more like buttery flavor, and I think they're more tender yep. versus the ones that are coming out of Florida and the Caribbean are... Uh, more tough and i maybe some relation to water temperature or something or lifestyle or whatever
2: 100 percent, same thing here i think this the southern the more temperate water lobster tastes better than the than the subtropical tropical water lobster but um but yeah i think you know the tropical ones and the subtropical ones really taught me not to overcook them because i think Mm -hmm. as soon as you overcook them even a little bit they're just terrible so yeah yeah, but it, 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 you can apply that same treatment by not overcooking the southern ones, and they they taste even better as well. But yeah, there's something about temperate water lobster that's just oh it's so good.
3: It's, yeah, it's delicious. I I think that people tend to overcook them too. And I was talking to a buddy last night, we had some, some elk meat and we took it to one of the taco shops here and they do like a cook your catch just for like fish and whatnot. So we're like, Oh, Hey, maybe they'll cook some of this elk meat for us too. And, and I I knew the cook and, and she obliged us, but, um, we were talking about how some people, if they're unfamiliar with the meat or the seafood or whatever, they'll undercook it because you know there's the whole fear of like, oh my gosh, if I undercook it, it's gonna, you know, what's gonna happen? So, uh, I think that falls into play too. And as 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 you experiment and become more comfortable uh, with with the foods, it it you like fine tune it.
2: I think there's like uh, there's some urban legends around like seafood gets lumped in with like chicken. And it's mm-hmm. like a, oh, it's a white meat, so it turns bad really fast, and you've got to cook it to get all the bacteria out of it and stuff like that. But you know, like the Japanese with sashimi, have ta- if nothing else, have taught us that you can eat the stuff raw. You know, and a lot of cultures have got had raw fish recipes. So I'm not saying it was straight Japanese, but um, a lot of other cult- like you know, if you do ceviche, that we're relying on lemon juice to to do a lot of the work for us. But um, yeah, you can you can eat the stuff raw and um lobster people do lobster sashimi so i
3: i don't think i've ever had it i haven't either right
2: now i haven't either but i would like to as well i'd probably do it with parboiled um though so it's like semi-cooked but um yeah Mm -hmm.
3: i think so you you run in this thing so here you get a lot of people eating freshwater fish too. And that's definitely there's parasites present in fe- freshwater fish, mm. um, that you have to either like freeze out or cook out. And so dropping it super low temps for like multiple days before you do anything with it. We posted, uh, it was a ceviche recipe a while back. We have an invasive species here called snakehead. Mm. Uh, I don't know the, the specific name, like the more okay. common universal name, but, uh, it, it, they show up in, in the Chesapeake Bay of the East Coast, ironically enough, like all the tributaries, and one of our riders uh, would go out and, like, kind of gig for them with a, a spotlight at night and with, a, like, a, um, a prong on the end of the pole. Okay. So like a pole spear, but slightly different. Yep. Um, and then he came back, and he prepared a ceviche, and in the initial publication of the recipe – Like he had told me, he's like, oh yeah, like I I froze this. I know the concerns with parasites because we had a conversation for that. But that line wasn't included in the recipe and people like lost it. They're like, wait, what are you doing? You're going to get, you're going to die. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa." like first off there's, you know, there's no known, there's no known cases of this particular species, like sharing a parasite that can affect humans. I was like, but also in the recipe, like he froze it hard, like overnight. Mm. And, uh, so now we include the, those those little details.
2: So those that that caveat is a is a crucial one. Sometimes I do the same thing because I think some species of ocean fish you, you have to do the same. Like um, I've shot amberjack and yellowtail out here, and it's had parasite in it. And um, mm-hmm. and I think groper species sometimes can possibly have um, you know parasites in them. I I'm wary, but yeah, I think there's some species that I've definitely become more comfortable with. Uh, doing raw variations on
3: yeah i i'm i'm gonna have to try more raw stuff too I, I think so that's it's gonna i'm gonna put that on my list as i move <laughs> away to colorado <laughs> uh, um what so speaking of raw and what what's some of the wildest wildest seafood you've eaten or like you've seen somebody eat
2: i lived in china for a year i taught english there um so honestly a lot of my ex- my most sort of exotic experiences, I guess, were there. Um, I think like Sichuan have this res- uh, this um, reputation for super spicy food, and mm-hmm. uh, Sichuan do a boil. There's a boiled fish. It's almost like like a, in China they call it huoguo or hot pot, and it's like heavily spiced water, and the fish is always mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> you never really know what you're eating, and when you look at their waterways, you just kind of like. You feel like you're taking a gamble with their life, um, but they they've they got a Westlake vinegar fish, which is like gi- uh, ginger, sort of heavily ginger flavored, with and shallow fried. Um, but I mean, back from China in New Zealand, where I grew up, um, very it was very common for us to be given um, white bait fritters. Um, so if you if you Google uh, white bait, you'll you'll be like, what the hell? They look like.
3: I'm really get it right now.
2: Almost look like sperm, like that transparent. <laughs> um but you know like probably maybe 2 inches long and really sort of thin and almost almost like yeah like oh uh, yeah yeah and so we would you, you'd catch them in a net in river mouth when they um had their season their spawning season and um you'd turn them into a fritter which you know so like egg and, and what you know quite often once you have the fritter you'd put put vinegar on them and um that was a real common one i grew up with in new zealand and another one was um abalone or in new zealand it's called power which is we'd also turn that into a fritter so they were some of the more exotic home homegrown ones that that i grew up with
3: oh those are nice mm. the, uh, um oh my gosh the name just slipped me the first one you or the second one you mentioned the, the power or the, the abalone no 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 oh the white right, bait the first one the white the white bait. bait yeah the white bait they look like smelt we call them like smelt okay. here it's similar process. You catch them as they go uh, upstream to spawn. And yep. There's like, it can be the seasons. Like, all right, now they're moving, and then this whatever state turns on the season, and people go out there, and there's only specific places they can catch them. Yeah, so cool. It's, it's pretty cool. Um. So now moving on. So we we talked a little bit. You mentioned the podcast earlier, and uh, I was telling you. Uh, hitting on sort of the community page on facebook and like you built this really awesome community uh kind of with the podcast and with your your book we're going to hit on and social media and all this stuff it's just like what day did you realize or when did you realize like man look at this like this is awesome i
2: i don't know it's probably a bit like you just like you know you, you get a lot of email and then you sort of think this conversation will be much better served in front of an entire community because I feel like this person's tapped onto something that everyone has an opinion and an idea about, you know. And so one thing I really like with the podcast is having a discussion, like long-form conversations and deep mm-hmm. dives into specific topics that we're really passionate about. And I think I was listening to another podcast as well and they started talking about these community groups on Facebook and I thought, shit, I should do that. And then so i did it and then you know like because the the disappointing thing about the podcast is that sometimes it's just this conversation that we're having live now but people want to put in their 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 opinion about it and why not so i i thought all right we'll start a facebook group and the thing just went ballistic and now i don't really promote the podcast on it like it's just very much a a group for the Mm -hmm. the community i mean it does take a while to grow and get going but now it's just like it's like some some dude chucked up a <laughs> a post about a percet which is like a, oh, a I, was, I was reading <laughs> through those comments you know like it's, a, it's a neoprene thing that you sew into your wetsuit and you sits in there and then you can urinate so your wetsuit doesn't smell like urine at the end of the day and you don't your skin's not <laughs> covered in bacteria and we like if you've been spearfishing a while and you've sat in a car or or, or whatever with you know guys that smell like urine or your or gear that smells like urine it's disgusting and i've i've done it and i've been you know surrounded by it so now it's like i'm seriously considering it and um <laughs> but this guy put this post up about this passet, and now you know there's 50 comments on it or whatever, and um, everyone's got an idea about it and wants to learn about it, and 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 I think that's one of the things you can do best do with a community group is like discuss some of the weird things that 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 go on, and um and I really like it. It fuels podcasts. Like I, I go, all right, well clearly this needs to be a, a larger discussion. Let's 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 do it on the podcast. And I don't know that I'm going to do an episode on passet. <laughs> but like nevertheless it's great that that this this community has got this 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 culture going and yeah i mean the only things i do to tune it is i i say um don't be a dick, you know like um and and by that i don't and i don't want to micromanage the group so even when people mouth off and they get a little bit silly i'll just gently pull them up but i won't delete them or ban them unless they continue to do it and i haven't i don't even think i've had to do it yet and I, i don't there's more than I think there's two and a half thousand people or more in there now and um and it's cool it's super cool to be a part of and to and to watch unfold and and to be partially to feel like you're partially responsible for it but i think as a as a as a person that moderates the group your responsibility is to help shape the culture but then to very much allow it to be its own thing and not just yeah so that's Mm. kind of my my opinion on it
3: i think it's 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 so neat to see uh I, i think that's actually how i stumbled I don't even remember if I saw the if I saw your podcast first or if I saw the group first. Whichever one, but then and then I reached out to you and was like, "Hey man, I I like what you're doing. Like, yeah, love to chat about some food." And fast forward, here we are.
2: Yeah, man, it was cool to get you on. And I mean, you're definitely the sort of person I like. You know, like you're a subject matter expert. You know, maybe you haven't spent years and years. Like spearfishing, like in a hardcore capacity, but you have done that with seafood, and um, and so it was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was cool to you know get you on and share share some recipes and some insight because I think that's a an aspect of our of the spearfishing lifestyle that I very much want to get better at, and so uh, if it tickles my itch, then I'm boom, I'm in.
3: Perfect. I, I would encourage everybody. Go, go check not to toot my own horn but go check out that episode it was it was a good one and yeah. and then uh scroll through look at you know listen to some of the others there's you'll recognize some some faces on there justin lee used to write for uh was a field staff writer with us for a while uh back a while ago uh he's been on the podcast too uh a super cool uh, dude
2: yeah kemi werner's another hawaiian on there um she's yep. she's awesome too and very much like a a foodie and um mm-hmm. and, and, and an interesting person but yeah, yeah.
3: I've, I've tuned into her youtube channel and i i i really enjoy it she goes on some cool stuff she was they were up in alaska for a while and i was like that was uh that was pretty awesome
2: yeah the community stuff is cool too like i've started like doing live interviews like so i'll go into a spearfishing store like one of the sponsors for the show and i'll run like live a live interview and get 40 or 50 people in there and sh- share pizza and have a few beers after and. i I think um the online culture if you have strong values like and you put forth uh uh, an idea of what uh, the culture you want to sort of create i think Mm -hmm. those people it it, some people it puts them off and they never come but they're not my people anyway and i don't like them so good and uh, and 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 i would rather not have them but what it does is it creates a cool place for the people that do share those same values to hang out and stuff and uh, that was another thing i got is like just like i don't know you can't be vanilla you know you've got to have some mm-hmm. opinions and stand on some ground and like yeah um sometimes it does your favors and sometimes other people don't like you for it but regardless at least it's it's um yeah something you want to be part of
3: yeah exactly i mean i think if some of those things too you know like you said if if it seems cool to me or it seems interesting to me then other people are probably interested in it as well or if I feel comfortable in this community, or I feel comfortable engaging in this way, like other people are probably going to do too. Like, there's some very apparent in our cultures. There's very apparent like red lines. Like, nope, don't do that. Like, yeah. don't behave this manner. Don't say that. You know.
2: Well, I um I did an episode a little while ago, and it was very much community generated. It was about death piles, which is. Um, in Florida, they call it the "Dock of Death" photos, and mm-hmm. it seems to be a phase of a of a Spiro sort of maturity journey where they post these photos and they get some ma- mad social props for it or something. But regardless of whether it's right or wrong, I wanted to have the conversation in a real free form way and allow everyone to express their views on on this particular phenomenon on social media and um jeepers i've got a lot of interaction around it, a lot of robust conversation but it was cool and um some people thought i didn't take a hard stance on it and i didn't i i I don't think that's my role my role was to facilitate the conversation rather Mm -hmm. than you know just like stand on a soapbox and preach at people so
3: yeah i i'm in agreement with you and i think that that's that's where i and i don't know i don't know if i've made this super clear to to a lot of our listeners or people that read or follow or do whatever like i don't i i don't pretend to be the expert at anything and i don't i don't want people looking at me being like oh yeah that guy's you know the defining point for our culture like no culture is very much involved in everybody yep. and i want that to remain that way and that's the way that i like harvesting nature to be like we're we're going to tell stories we're going to share food you know, we want to bring people to our community. We don't want to set the guidelines or the absolutes for our community. And I, I think that's that's such an important thing for me.
2: Yeah, sometimes it's hard, man. I had a guy. Oh, yeah. Actually, I had a Floridian woman. Um, Lorena Sarasua, I think is her name.
3: Oh, yeah. And yeah.
2: She's got a YouTube channel. and She's just rad. She seems like a pretty good um, uh, freediver, and she's a great Spiro. And um, she posted a video up and... And um, this guy got on, and he was really, really heavy-handed with the way he criticised her. And I don't actually mind criticism. I think criticism's a healthy part of having a great culture, and you should be able to do it, and by all means do it. But he got he got really disrespectful and like over the top with it. And I was it was kind of making me ask some questions like, "Hey, has this guy gone too far? And should I get rid of him?" Mm-hmm. And then I thought, "No, no, he's made a dick of himself." And I'll reinforce that by putting a comment on there, and then I'll just leave it for the world to see. If you want to behave like that, by all means do so, but a lot of people are just going to think you're a And You don't need to cancel them. You just allow them to say what they want, and I don't know. I, I hope she's all right, because some of his stuff I thought was way over the top, but anyway. I,
3: I, I saw her responses. It seems like she was she was responding pretty, like, like seriously? Like, whatever man yeah type deal hey, but yeah no she's 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 super cool she was on the podcast as well oh cool um she's just up up the road uh just north of miami i believe um i actually think i think so
2: yeah. i listened to that interview
3: yeah yeah that was a good that was a good chat when uh when lobsters bite back yeah I never yeah met yeah anybody yeah. that was bit by lobster yeah 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 <laughs> So, oh, I will mention, so uh, all the, the, the different episodes that we talk about on your podcast and, and our podcast here, we'll, we'll throw those in the show notes. Everybody has a quick link. We always do that, but I like to remind everybody to go scroll through the show notes. There's lots of interesting tidbits there. Cool, cool. Uh, plus, Corey puts a lot of work into putting those together. I want to make sure people are recognizing the hard work. <laughs> uh, so the well, time's ticking, but mm. uh, I do want to chat a little bit about the your book mm. 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. Cause it's going to, I think cover two points uh, that I, I kind of want to explore for the listeners as far as uh, people who are already spearfishing, like ways to tune, tune up and get better. And then people who are interested in spearfishing and maybe haven't uh pun intended pulled the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. Um. So yeah. So, as far as like tying the book with the podcast and and the website and your vault blog like where where did that come into play at
2: at the time i think turbo and i were co-hosting the show full-on together and he sort of i invited him into the noob spirit right at the start and he co-hosted and it was all just banter and silliness really and we we'd both been spearing for about sort of i don't know somewhere between two and four years each and so the first forty interviews we sort of turned around and we went, Hey, we we need to start producing we need to produce a book. Like we should be teaching people more about how to start spearfishing, you know, because sometimes a podcast is more ad hoc, you know, like and it's not really a comprehensive sort of thing. So we sort of said, Well, let's write a comprehensive guide to start spearfishing and then And then i thought well that we started doing that and that's a huge exercise we thought why not just distill some of the best tips and advice that have been given to us in the first 40 interviews along with our own experiences that have shaped us and put that into a a a quick start guide and um so that's what we did and then um it saw numerous revisions and um but yeah it was a really cool part and project to be involved with we crowdfunded that on kickstarter and um, raised a bit of money, which paid for like a big printing run, and um, it was cool. It was, it's the book still sells now, like pretty well on Amazon, and um, and I'm super stoked with it. I'm proud of it.
3: Yes, it it's awesome. I gotta, um, I'm actually gonna. I'm gonna order, order a copy. Wow. Well, <laughs> Sorry, I haven't bought one yet.
2: <laughs> I should probably just send you three copies to give away to listeners. How about that?
3: Oh, that'd be good. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'll do well, that for you.
3: We'll we'll talk after the show and figure out what creative way we want to give them out.
2: Cool, I'll send you four and you can have one. How's that?
3: Oh, <laughs> sweet, that'd be awesome. <laughs> cool. Um, so what what would be looking into it? And I don't want you to dive too deep into it because I want people to go check it out on their own. Mm. But like, what would be uh, like a hot tip for someone who's like getting into spearfishing? <sighs>
2: Let let me just talk broadly. So spearfishing is like everyone thinks like, oh, cool! I'm going to learn this magic breath hold technique. Boom! I'm going to get down. I'm going to hold my breath, and I'm going to shoot a fish. Nah, it's not going to happen. Like it's a, <laughs> it's a journey of a thousand steps, and like I think the ninety nine to get better at spearfishing it's like if you can like even if you're experienced right and you learn one thing that improves your spearfishing one percent you realize how huge that is so the value of of, of of like reading 99 tips is if one of those tips makes a huge difference in your spearfishing as far as we were concerned it was it's a good investment for you and I, so we were kind of trying to cater towards all ends of the spectrum obviously the less you know probably the more value you're going to get out of it i think some of the best tips in the book for someone starting out is don't buy your gear online, particularly when you're starting. Go and find a specialist retailer and build a relationship with them. And you'll know very quickly whether they're good people or not. And don't rely on some jaded 10-year veteran with their solo opinion that the store is shit. Um, get a get a get a spread of information from four or five locals, and then you'll have a better idea. Because sometimes, like if you're experiencing, you have a bad interaction with one salesperson in a store, all of a sudden to you, you just wipe them. So don't don't do that. Like find a local retailer, build a relationship with them. If they're good people, stay there, and they'll give you advice about everything from dive buddies to what equipment is best in your local water. And, and they'll even put you onto dive spots. They'll put you on dive trips and they'll put you in a, into the, which is the best spearfishing club to join. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's a huge way to plug in. I guess if I gave another second tip, because I've got a big mouth and I like talking, I would say um, <laughs> a freediving course or a specialist spearfishing course is going to be money well spent. Like in a condensed period of time, you're going to learn things that take people years and years of reading and learning on their own and watching YouTube videos. Um, there's something about in-person training where you get direct feedback and you get to work on skills in a real sort of um, dedicated capacity. I'm a big fan of live stuff. Um, as good as podcasts are, and I, and you know, like obviously, I want people to listen to my podcast. But you know, if you can do a proper sp- uh, freediving diving um, course with it with a person that's familiar with spearfishing, that thing's particularly in your early days is going to just add miles and miles to your um, to your to your experience and knowledge. I wanted a chance to promote an upcoming project that um, I've invited you to be part of too. And, you know, I thought we've got 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. The next project coming off the, off the rank is 99 Spear Recipes, which is actionable meals for the everyday diver. And I wanted, you know, Harvesting Nature to be very much a part of it and submit a mm-hmm. few recipes. And, um, and we'll get some books out for your community as well. But um, I want people to expand beyond that. Two, three go-to recipes, and really sort of broaden their um, broaden their ideas about what what's capable with the fish and the resource that they, you know, they take, and um, so that that look out for that book. It's a, it won't be out probably this year, but I'll I'll get it done. It'll be out early next year.
3: I'm I'm excited to to hop onto that and and be part of it. I know you and I've had some discussions about it, so mm. but I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to that project. And Chase, I think, would be a great fit for it too, uh, being part of the 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 Spiro community and the the wild wild fish cooking and game cooking. It's got some added value.
4: Yeah, man, I'm a I've got a whole lot of recipes running through my head. They're my usual go tos.
2: What do you think of the concept? What would you add or change to it?
4: To the concept of the book? Yeah. No, I think, I think it's brilliant, um, especially if you could just tailor it to the the spearfishing community because why not?
2: Yeah. Well, I thought like, you know, we were talking about community before, Justin and I, and we are talking about how much power there is and like everyone's really, really good at, you know, maybe a couple of things, you know. Why not harness that, I reckon, because none of us – I don't i don't have a hundred spearfishing recipes off the top of my head i've probably got 10 mm. or 15 and um and i've been doing it for more than 10 years so
3: yeah yeah i think it's solid i think uh as, as long as you're speaking because then you look at like the the geographical side of it too like looking all across the world is like having recipes that can translate different types of of seafood mm. i think is it will be a good one too
2: I'll have to write everything like in like ounces for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> your pronounce
3: your your pronunciation of the American version of tartar sauce kills me. <laughs>
2: I can do more if you oh, want but yeah.
3: Oh man. All right. Well, um I I, I definitely say we're we're s- solidly the clock is ticking. So, yeah, all good um, man. No, I think it's good. I'm excited about that the the new book project. But how can people connect with you best? We talked about community, but outside of that, what are what are some other good ways? Yeah. Some people are like what? What's
2: your thing called? It's Noob Spiro. So very much about like the name. Even the name is about pulling the ego out of it. Like no one cares how long you can hold your breath. No one cares how big the fish you are that shoot. You know, like, just be a good person, you know. Don't be a dick. And that's kind of the values of the show. Like, I've never been the best spiro in the world i don't i th- don't i don't think i'll ever will be and for me it's not really about that it's about the lifestyle so noob is n o o b which comes from online gaming you know like no one wants to be a noob but we all are at some point <laughs> and uh and spiro which is you know whether you're a man or a woman you you know and you love the spearfishing lifestyle you're a spiro so s p e a r o and you can find Noob Spiro on anywhere, man, um, Instagram. I think we've got a TikTok. I don't know how it works. but um, And then the, the Noob Spiro community <laughs> on Facebook, noobspiro.com, any of that stuff, man. Thanks for um, having me on. It's a really, it's, a, it's an honor, man, and, a, and, and really cool to connect with like-minded people.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Jace, do you have a, a last thought?
4: Anything for us? Hey, man, thanks for being on. Thanks for inviting me, Justin. Yeah, uh, can't wait to see what the next project is and I'm picturing like a a coffee table book with really nice spearfishing <laughs> 100%. photos 100% raw from all over this all over the world.
2: Yes. You're in Chase, you're in. <laughs>
3: <laughs> awesome. Well, uh I I echo that. Thanks for coming on, man. It, it was awesome. You hosted me and and we had such a great time chatting there that I was like, "You know what? Uh I want to have him on our show, and so I was I was hounding hounding the guys to to create some time and we did and yep. our our schedules on the other side of the world finally lined up yeah, which worked yeah. out great so uh and I, I got I'm to tell excited. you I got to tell you all about tartar tartar <laughs> 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 awesome well everyone out there uh thanks for listening as always show notes as i mentioned earlier are always available online head over to social media make sure you're following the noob spiro and make sure you're also following harvesting nature which you should be if you're listening to the show and then uh whatever podcast platform you're listening to hit that five star <laughs> button tell us what we're doing right or tell us what we're doing wrong thanks everybody have a good night